You are now listening to the All Right Talk Show with me, your host, Shane Trainer. Get insider knowledge as we explore the world of business, travel, property, investing, healthy mindsets, and everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. That's right, we are back for part two, my interview with Paul McGee. Uh, you remember from last time, Paul and I chatted about the Forex markets and some of the trades he's done, and there was plenty of nuggets to be had from that episode. So scroll back through the episode list and uh, listen to that before you listen to this one, if you wish. So this week, we'll be talking all about Paul's successful property sourcing business, ProSourced, who was also a recent podcast sponsor of mine. So yeah, firstly, thanks for that, Paul. So Paul, part two. Are you ready? Shane, let's go. Awesome. So yeah, it's good to good to have you back. Loving the uh, the fresh new shirt for the video. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So property sourcing. Uh, you've got a property sourcing business, ProSourced, um, and that's in the northwest, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, ProSourced is just basically a, a sourcing company, finding properties for various people who are looking for largely single lets, buy to lets, um, you know, the occasional requests for HMOs, land developments, et cetera. But I specialize mostly in single lets because I've always, well, I have lived in HMOs, but I prefer single lets. I, I understand them more. Um, they're easier to price uh, and there's a lot more of them. So I, I just found it the easier route. Yeah, class. yeah, based, based in the northwest. The accent, um, probably worthwhile pointing out to to the guys on here. The accent throws a lot of people off, but I was actually born in Liverpool, and most of my family are up there, so I know the area really quite well. Um, but I was raised on the Isle of Wight, hence the sort of southern so element of my voice. <laughs> it's funny because you were born in Liverpool, you were raised in the south, and you support a team in the in the Midlands. Exactly. Yeah. So you're all over the shop, Paul. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. There's a story behind that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so why why property sourcing? Why did you decide to get into into that game? Yeah. So a couple of years back, I was uh, working full time for a sort of uh, an email software provider, and I was earning quite decent money in that company, but. I've never been somebody who pays into a pension, into a personal pension plan. I've always said that I will be self-sufficient. I don't need a pension plan, you know, one with the government and stuff. So <clears throat> I basically realized that I was getting a good bonus through. Um, actually, no, I was just earning really good money. And, and it was just a case of like, right, okay, what do I do with it? I got to the point where I was going to put some of it into trading and Forex, which I was going to learn myself, which... You know, the guys who listened to the last one, you'll know the story behind that. Um, but I was also looking at putting my money into actual solid assets um, rather than, you know, gold and silver, which I did consider. I thought, you know what, property kind of pays you on a, on a monthly basis as well. Um, so it kind of makes sense to be getting involved with buying properties. Now, um, it got to a point in the summer of 2019. So late 2018 i started learning a lot more about property how to do refurbs etc like i was quite fortunate when my parents moved from liverpool to the isle of wight we bought an old um it was kind of like a hospice it was a massive massive house uh, which was used in the sort of in the 20s for soldiers who had had like their legs blown off and stuff so people would go there to to die basically mm. um and it was like they had to practically knock down half of that house and rebuild it because of major subsidence issues. Um, it was ancient. It was like 150 years old. It was a proper like Edwardian styled house or Victorian Edwardian. I don't know, super old. Um, and I, I just watched my parents um, along with like a very small occasional build team come in to help them. Um, you know, I'd help with like the bricklaying and, and plastering and stuff like that, but I was only a kid. And so I seen my parents do it. My brother's done it. Um, you know, he left the Isle of Wight when he was like 17 or 18. 
Um, moved to Manchester, bought the worst house on the best street, moved to Hinckley in Leicestershire. Um, then he moved to Essex and did. he's just done the same three times over and done extremely well from it. He's not a property developer, but he's basically just bought really rundown houses, added value to it, essentially, um, even though he was living there, and then sold it and moved on to the next one when he changed his jobs. And it served him extremely well. And I thought, you know what? I'm the last person in my family to do this when I was the first person to say that I was going to do it when I was about 15. Um, so story short, I was looking to buy houses for myself to rent out to other people on the really, really basic term. Um, one of my clients, when I was working for the marketing, well, the email marketing company, they did assisted living um, for a well for their whole it was a, a, an assisted living provider in the midlands and i had no idea what that was so basically in my introductory meeting with them uh, where i have to get to know their business it was the first time they were using the software so i was their account manager so i needed to learn their company and they basically said you know we we acquire properties from landlords and we we basically rent them off them for like five years at a time sometimes 10 years and we give them like a set rent um, but what we do is we put people in with like learning difficulties and have like a full-time member of staff who needs to, you know, live in there with them. Um, so we deal with all the maintenance, you know, we do everything for them. We get paid by central government. It's a really, really secure way for, for landlords to make money. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're trying to reach out and find landlords. And I'll, I basically had explained to them earlier in that session what I was doing um, at the weekend. It was basically going to look at a house in crew. Uh, it was a bungalow in crew, um, which I was basically going to do up and rent out. And, and they started suggesting, well, maybe we could take your property. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. But I, I just had this habit of constantly finding extremely, well, at the time, like now it's quite hard to do considering, you know, there's a bit of a squeeze on the market. Yeah. But I was just very, very good at finding very cheap properties. And that was purely through phoning estate agents. It was just constantly on the phone to estate agents around my job, just saying like, look, now I've got this amount of money. It was about 26 grand or something. It wasn't an enormous amount of money, which I had. Uh, it was about 26 grand. I said, look, I want to buy a house which can do this. Um, you know, I'm willing to take it run down. Um, what do you have? And, you know, what's the lowest that the homeowner will take? And I just I must have gone through about 10 or 12 properties, which nowadays as a sourcer, like I, I would pray for those opportunities again. Like they were that good. And I kept on finding them for myself. Well, anyway, I was due to uh, basically get a bonus from the company which I was working with. And I'd agreed pre-auction to this, to this bungalow. Um, I hadn't put down the deposit. They were very, very lenient with me, which was like really good because I'd never done it before. But I said, this is mine. I'm going to take it. They didn't have any other offers, uh, which really surprised me. Um, but to cut a long story short, it was a 62,000 two-bedroom bungalow. Um, and I turned up half an hour, 45 minutes before the appointment by accident, uh, purely by accident. Um, and there was a lady in the house next door, said the adjoining house. Um, and I said, I hope you don't mind me asking, but I'm thinking of buying the house next door. How much did you pay for yours? And she said, 120,000. And I was like, okay, this, this one's on for like 75 or 80 or whatever. Mm. And then I said, how long ago was that though? And she said, four months ago. I was like, no way. Anyway, I put my offer in. It was pre-auction accepted, 62,000. I had to make my payment the following Monday. So that was on like a Wednesday. Um, and I had to pay my deposit. I actually had to pay deposit plus everything else the following Monday. 10% deposit at an auction, is it? Or, uh... Yeah. 10% deposit um, because the, the actual auction was going to happen on the Tuesday. So I would have to make everything paid by Tuesday, but I was okay to make the payment on Monday, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and they were reserving it at that price for me. Um, but luckily there was nothing signed because the, it was the Thursday or the Friday just before. So it was just after I'd been to see that property the day after um, I met up with my boss and uh, he said, Paul, we, we've been taken over, long story short. We're making cuts and we have to let you go. And it was completely out of the blue. Um, I, I was just completely shocked by it, which also meant that the bonus, which I was due, they didn't have to pay it. Like if they told me the day after, they were legally obliged to pay me my bonus, which would have paid for the property. So straight away, I was sat there not really thinking about the job because I thought, you know, I could just go get another job. Um, but 
it was like, holy shit, like I've just got to double check that I don't actually have to make this payment on the bungalow. Luckily, they let me off. They said there's been nothing signed. It's okay. Um, but So I thought, you know what, one talent which I do seem to have is I can actually find these properties and then I start to think, well, can I can I actually source properties for other people? Didn't know it was a real thing. Um, and I've been told previously that you're not allowed to charge the buyer, you always have to charge the seller. Um, and then start doing a little bit more research online to see about property sourcing. Went and got, um, basically just been doing tons and tons of research for at least like the last year before that anyway. And uh, I went on a uh, sourcing training course with Progressive uh, for a weekend. And it was purely just to make sure that my compliance was correct because I thought I knew the process, but it was just a, you know, double check with the experts in the industry to see like, right, okay, I am legally able to do this. And then I set out basically looking to do it for other people. Problem was I didn't have any investors or I didn't think I did. Um, I could go find the properties. I had nobody to sell them to. You've always got to have the investor first, have That's the investor right. in mind That's and right. go and source, basically looking for that investor. Um, and then we had, basically the lockdown happened uh, about six months after that the lockdown happened. Uh, so after I got compliant, which was about December, 2019 now, um, got compliant, got seven or eight properties on the go all reserved with one client, uh, which was a mistake on my part, a major mistake. Um, the lockdown happened and he withdrew from six of them uh, within two weeks. And I could basically see my commission, which was the equivalent at that point to my old salary. And I was like, I've done this within like two months. This is gonna be incredible. Like this is definitely the way to go. Um, and then we basically got told that even the property industry had shut down. And it's like, I couldn't go view anything. I didn't want to. Everyone was afraid at that point with the first lockdown. Everyone was like, can't go outside. going to catch this disease, which will kill you. Yeah. Um, you know, like that was scary. Um, but yeah, basically I got into property sourcing to cut a really long story short because I missed out on an opportunity for myself. But I realized that I could actually do it for other people and charge them a fee for it, which was fair exchange. So everyone's a winner. And what's the current... <laughs> fee for what's the current fee for uh sourcing a property for an investor paul um the industry standard uh last year or before last year was typically three thousand pounds for a single let property but now it's creeping up to about four and the the reason for that and i raised my prices recently and my clients are fine with it um there's a squeeze on supply mm. there's nothing coming out like Everything on Rightmove is swamped by oh, the, almost no exaggeration when I say it's like 30 plus investors. Now it's only investors buying, but Joe Public isn't buying. Like investors are buying, Joe Public is staying still. Like they're not moving. Um, it's only investors buying properties, especially in Northwest at the moment. So, but there are, you know, some people still buying uh, general end users. But um, when there's a squeeze on supply, but if you've got the supply, then you can raise your prices, right? There's a yeah. there's a reason for it. And, and that's literally just what's happening. The industry prices are now starting to creep up as well. Um, my prices went up the last couple of weeks and um, it just makes sense. So on average, about 4,000 per property. Yeah, that, and that makes sense. Yeah, total sense considering, yeah. So the market at the moment, as as we know, and it has been for months now, is, uh, is still very buoyant, isn't it? And it's uh, there's, there's a lot of demand but not much supply yeah that's it you know so <laughs> i go and view properties for people which i haven't sourced as well so they'll basically send me up to go see a property they've booked in a viewing i'll go view it for them give it a basic appraisal um give it an estimated cost of repairs and they do the rest because it's, it's their own property which they've sourced on right move um but i will never be the only person viewing that house I'll turn okay. up and it could be, I could be the first person booked in, but I'm the first of 20 in that day. That's so right. It, 
It's relentless, absolutely relentless. So yeah. for anything which is on market, it's tricky. It, you know, something which, um, you know, if these are property people listening to this, you, you'll fully understand, all of you, that at the moment, if you're looking for comparables on the market, you typically look for what's sold in, you know, within a quarter of a mile or sometimes even the same street, especially if it's Liverpool. Um, and because properties haven't been sold very much, like there haven't been many transactions actually happening over the last 12 months, it's quite difficult to get comparables. But the market has skyrocketed. Um, now, an argument which I hear um, buyers saying to a lot of sources, because I get a lot of sources asking me questions, how do you do this, how do you do that? And that's all cool. But it's largely around they're trying to negotiate my fee down. And it's like, well, okay, what, why are they trying to negotiate a fee? It's like, well, they're saying that, you know, the value on the street is not the amount which I can secure it for. It's like, well, why don't they secure it? Like, if if they need to use you to secure it, then they're, they're paying you for a service. And you can generally charge what you want. Um, it's then down to them to say yes or no to your fee plus the, the value of the property. That's now, fine. the drawback which we have is that because there's been so few transactions, there's so few comparables, the properties are being sold, but they're usually in the SSTC stage, uh, sold subject to contract. Um, and it would also, once they've been sold, take typically three months or more to appear on land registry. And once that has happened, then you've got a solid comparable for the area to say, ah, you know what, yeah, if I buy this house, it's going to be worth this amount rather than this amount, yeah. which it was before, it'd be worth this amount because this one is the new comparable. Well, the thing is, is that if the general public are still buying these houses, yes, a lot of them are still, they're coming back on the market because they've been overvalued, like way overvalued. Um, but the truth is, is that there's a lot of investors just buying with cash. Land registry, as far as I know, doesn't show you whether or not it's purchased with cash or a mortgage. So the rateable value of an area is increasing due to cash buyers um, and Joe Public who are, who are buying properties. So finding a low valued property these days is quite difficult. It's more a case of finding a valued property um, for less than what it could go for, uh, which is where the margin is being made at the moment for a lot of properties. Um, yeah, you can still find you know cheaper properties, but they're usually cheaper for a very good reason. Um, and I, I truly believe that you know even with my direct to vendor stuff, I will never ever rip somebody off. So it's like it's a case where I hear some stories from largely from buyers rather than other sources, but when it's direct to vendor stuff, it's almost like in my eyes, it's unethical to, to say to somebody, I think your house is worth like 60,000 when we actually know that it's worth a hundred grand. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't, I don't agree with that in the slightest. No, I won't ever do that. Um, so some people I don't get on with and I just say, we're not going to work together. And that's completely cool. Um, I need to make sure that everybody's a winner. So a fair value for the house in its current condition, because we all know that house prices go up generally. A lot of people will say, a lot of places haven't recovered since 2007 well yeah sure but if you show that in comparison to london and the south and the midlands and basically everywhere but like hartlepool and around there and even parts of the world where where i'll do sourcing and some of liverpool the majority have not just gone up they've like doubled and tripled and and even more so yeah so you know if you can secure a property at a very good value at the moment um, and you're happy with the yield which you're going to be receiving and you've got the long-term mentality if you're going to buy and hold for 10 years 20 years 30 years or for life um, what's the difference in you know two or three grand now compared to where it's going to be in 20 years time you are probably going to be losing good deals because of a couple of grand uh, which is what i'm finding a lot well not a lot, but I'm finding some people are doing. Uh, my clients don't tend to miss out because they understand the value of buying the property when it's available, um, especially with the squeeze on the market at the moment. But yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tricky market. It's uh, a I'm seller's not... market, isn't it? I believe at the moment. It's very much a seller's market because... Um, if, if... Yeah, go on, sorry. No, I was, I was just going to say, who's in charge? Yeah, like, yes, yeah, spot on. It's not the buyer. Like a buyer might have 10 million in the bank, but if it's my house, they have to pay my price. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
And uh, I mean, obviously, there are, of course, deals to be had. You just have to look hard enough for them. But I am finding that it's 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 hard. It's it has been harder to negotiate deals and see. Uh, well, let's say, for instance, a, a vendor's house. You'll know what it's worth because you've done your own due diligence on it. You've worked out the figures. You've got the the GDV, which is the gross development value. Um, yeah. And then obviously the agents are saying, no, 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 it's not worth that. It's worth like 20% more than what this person's saying. And it's like, well, no, because I mean, obviously as a property developer or someone who wants to put value into the house, you obviously, we need to make a certain percentage minimum uh, profit because otherwise it's not worth doing. Alternatively, there are families out there, not maybe not, not many, but there are families out there that will buy a really run down house that will just want to live in it and do the work and they will pay over asking. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's markets a bit all over the shop, but it's, it's yeah. tricky. And I think, um, I think a lot of it is a lot of people don't actually understand how pricing works. Um, and I say that kind of lightly if I can, cause I don't want to offend anybody. Um, <laughs> but I believe that a lot of people don't know how to value a property or look at where value is going to be. So if you look um, from a valuer's eyes. I'm luckily married to a valuer's daughter who did it for 40 years before they retired. So I know how valuers, especially from the VOA, Valuation Office Authority, yeah. value properties. You only need one comparable. You don't need three, four, five. You need one. Um, and if you say, I want to pick the value of that property, most of the time for lenders, that is fine because they're making more money out of you. Now, if you've got Let's say, for example, three properties um, within a local area. Like, okay, let's make a new scenario. The previously sold was three years ago, and it was fifty thousand pounds on. I know we're going to say in Bootle in Liverpool, on one of the streets up there. Fifty thousand pounds was the nearest comparable. This property's on the market for seventy thousand. We know that it needs. 15 grand's worth of work, that's 85,000 basically, which you have to pay, plus your fees, which you would have to pay anyway if you're buying a house. Mm. Um, so 85,000, the previously sold were 50, but there's three which are sold subject to contract at 110, all right? So the actual gap there is 110 minus 85, because we know, generally speaking, at least a third of properties fall out of bed. So one of those three, which are sold subject to contract, are not going to go through. But you're almost not guaranteed, but you're very certain that at least one of them will soon appear as a comparable at 110 mm. or 115 or whatever the figure is. So I just said, I forgot what the figure was. <laughs> but basically, that's going to be your comparable, which you can go after, as long as there's a few which are sold subject to contract. Um, but yeah, they do have to go. If you're buying with cash, that puts you at an advantage because you do have six months before you can, you know, finance it and stuff like that, generally. Um, but you know that that's going to be your comparable value, which you're going towards. If you are buying straight onto a mortgage, that's where it's trickier because, you know, you do have the mortgage lenders have their own sort of rules and criteria based on what has sold versus what is selling. But if you're looking to buy with cash and do a refurbishment, you can look at what's being sold and go with a safe bet comparison on that. So, you know, it's quite straightforward, really. And luckily, my clients are quite educated on it. Um, I don't work with just anybody. Um, it's usually people who are just very hungry to buy, buy properties. Um, yeah. Usually the right properties, not the wrong properties, but they know what they're after and they understand value. So, yeah. So, okay. That's, that's brilliant. Cause that that brings me on to um, working with investors then. So obviously you go through a vetting process. So you don't just get people messaging on Instagram saying, I want to, I want a property. What you got? Like, obviously there, there is people that take the piss and you've had your fair share of that. Um, so yeah. do you want to kind of walk us through um, the process that you do and working with investors in general? And obviously, uh, yeah, touch upon um, how to get investors as well. Any tips on that? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, for I know sure. That's a, that's a lot of ass there, but yeah. No, just no, to... no, don't worry. Um, my general process with, with onboarding investors is, first of all, we need to have a conversation of sorts. Like, you don't necessarily have to have even a phone call or a face-to-face or a Zoom call or anything like that, but it is helpful because at the end of the day, I have now a list of about 320, 325 investors. It's constantly growing. Um, you know, not all of them are serious. Not all of them are going to buy. I don't send out many emails to, well, I don't really use marketing emails. Um, so I do work primarily with less than 10 investors at any one time um, because I know they're hungry, they're serious. We stay in touch via WhatsApp and so on and so forth. But the general process is a brief um, if they're serious about it, a brief conversation on the phone could take could take 10 minutes, could take an hour. Um, you know, it depends on how we get on. If we click as an individual uh, or individuals, sorry, um, then fantastic. It makes things 10 times easier because I know that I can reach out to them. They know they can reach out to me and we're on the same uh, wavelength moving forwards because when you have clashing personalities, I've always said this with every business, just don't work with each other. Like you might have perfect complementing skills, but if you do not click as individuals, it's gonna it's gonna be difficult. It's just gonna get psychologically quite hard. Mm. So if I can I have a conversation with the investor, I get a very good understanding for what they're after, you know. And I now really narrow it down to what do I actively source? What do I actually look for? What do I know how to value very, very quickly? Uh, what do I know how to do the repairs on, the fees, et cetera? How could I get something which is generally a quick transaction? Um, so if they're looking for single lets, they're looking at you know general BRR. Um, I don't specialize in refurbs, so I would refer them over to builders who I know. Um, and I wouldn't deal with the, the refurb process. It's, that's down to them. It's not my strength. And I'm quite happy to say to all of my clients, that's not my strength. It's not. I have no passion for it whatsoever. Mm. So they'd be better off finding somebody else, but I can find them the property. Um, then I basically go through a series of questions, you know, what's their background? What's their experience? Have they worked with anybody who's, who's gone to find properties for them in the past, basically a, a sourcer, um, you know, what's their ambition in that sort of like in the next 12 months, because I want to know as well, um, you know, I, I grow my business on repeat custom and referrals largely. Um, but I want to know what their intention is over the next 12 months. Am I going to likely going to make three to 4,000 pounds from this individual to be quite crude about it? Or am I going to make 30,000 pounds if I perform well? Um, you know, it's, I, I want to know what their urgency is in the next 12 months. In the next five years, you know, what is your plan? Is it to leave work? Is it to make five grand a month passive? Um, for anyone who's listening to the podcast, that was an in inverted commas like, passive income because it's yeah. never actually passive um you know are they looking for 10 grand a month you know if it's because they want to leave work are they actually motivated to do this or is it just that they're looking for an escape from work because their mind will change when they change their job so i'm a little bit nervous when they do say oh, i just want to leave work it's like well don't we all um you know, yeah. It's like, yeah yeah um, so and then from that i, I basically I'll send them, if they want to see it, they, I'll send them my compliance info. You know, they can find them on my website as well. Um, but I talk them through the process of, of how I do things. So when you when you first start out, say any newbies in property sourcing, um, you'll go along to your, your training seminars and stuff and they'll say, okay, cool, right. From a marketing perspective, a lot of these companies need to sound like they know what they're doing. Um, so they'll say, right, okay, you need to you need to be able to create a brand, a logo, a website. You've got to create brochures. Every property that you see, you've got to put it into a nice, nice marketing brochure. We're, we're marketeers. We're not salespeople. Absolute bullshit. You don't need a brochure. I don't use brochures. I've, I've tried to use brochures. Um, I've tried to use spreadsheets to send to people. And all of them, all of these things just confuse the buyer. Now, I've been a buyer my whole life. You know, I've bought everything that I own <laughs> as everyone who's listening has been a buyer your whole life passionate about investing in property are you a beginner or a seasoned veteran wanting to learn more then Blue Ricks magazine is a perfect magazine for you I know what you're thinking not another property magazine well Blue Ricks subscribers get access to their bi-weekly private podcasts monthly meetups 
private YouTube library, digital download resources, and of course, by monthly print magazine, as well as their regular online articles. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Head over to bluebricksmagazine.com forward slash investor or click on the link in the show notes. Um, <laughs> what, what puts you off as a buyer? It's generally a salesman trying to use a marketing tactic to pull the wall over your eyes. Yeah? Yeah. I don't want to be seen a brochure of all the best pictures that you got. I want to know the raw figures and I want to see the photographs that you took or the video that you took. Yeah, I don't you want put your finger over the, uh, over the camera. <laughs> that, that's raw enough, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I want to see exactly what you saw if I can, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. I just want more figures because anything else is just junk. Um, I used to have, so I did my training, oh, I've already said who it is with, um, but basically the emphasis on doing these brochures was really quite big. Um, a couple of people said, oh, I don't bother with brochures. And I thought, but they're saying that we need to do brochures. We have to do brochures. Like, I wasn't quite as enthusiastic as that, but like, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it as the experts say. I'm going to use brochures. And I did have a client who was like, do you have a brochure? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm on the button. Like, I'm glad that I did this training. Um, but anyway, this guy said that he was going to buy seven, seven properties, two HMOs, two basically like flips, uh, the total in value about 700 grand. Mm. Um, sorry, no, a total purchase value was 700. The total end value was more sort of like 1,200, 1,300, uh, 1.3 million. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it was almost almost double what he was looking at purchase. So he, he got like the best of the best properties. I wish I knew the investors who I've got now back then um, because they would have been sold. Uh, but instead, one of them, oh no, they've all now dropped out. That that one offline, for anyone who's listening, Shane knew about a property which had been taking 14 months at the time in legals. Yeah. Uh, finally fell out of bed, mate. So that guy ended up buying nothing from me. So a bit frustrating. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> with the brochure side of things, it would actually just end up confusing a lot of my clients. So I was sending it to more serious investors and they were like, we we don't really need these brochures. Um, You know, it it kind of shows that you could be a really cool looking marketing company, like, you know, oh, your branding's really good. But the truth is, is that your results speak louder than your marketing does. That's right, yeah. Like you can try to pull the wool over somebody's eyes, but you can't do it over someone who's experienced. Um, And the figures, uh, a lot of people who say to me that they want an an ROI of at least 15% or, you know, 20%. No worries. You know, I know that I can find those properties almost all day long. Um, The problem is, is when they talk about how they calculate their ROI. Now, there is actually only one way to calculate an ROI, but everybody does it differently. There is actually only one way to do it. It's all expenses, like all expenses need to be included in that. The problem with that is I will put in a nominal value of about £14 per month for insurance on the property. Some people will say, I've got £20 a month down on my spreadsheet, so you're lying to me on that spreadsheet. Like they won't say that, but it's like, yeah. you're fluffing the figures. It's like, well, no, because my own insurance is 14 a month. So I know you can get 14 a month. Why are you trying to make it harder by putting 20 a month? Um, oh, you know, you've put your mortgage broker as, as 400 pounds. It's like, well, yeah, because that's what my mortgage broker is. Well, mine's 800. It's like, okay, well, straight away, we're going to have end figures, uh, which are entirely different. So I no longer use spreadsheets. I'll literally provide the basics. This is what I can get it for. This is what the end value is. This is what the rent is. This is what the repairs are. And this is what the yield is. Yeah, and everything else, they can just work out themselves. Because you're right, like, um, there's, there's a few factors into calculations which are, which are subjective to each person, i.e. broker tax. fees, tax. Uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, you're taxing, your accountancy fees um yeah it's it's also if you're um if you're using bridge or if you're using angel investors um, right yeah if it's your own money if it's going to be mortgage if it's cash interest rates yep 
Yeah, uh, and you know, and the mortgage type as well. So like, the problem is if you if you send out spreadsheets which show an ROI to the uneducated investor, that's probably going to be helpful. But I've learned not to work with uneducated investors, mm. and I, I don't mean that in a rude way. Uh, because we're all uneducated investors at, at one stage. Um, and I will work with people who are, <laughs> where I've just said I don't work with them, I do work with them, as long as they're willing and understanding that there's a lot of fluff and bullshit out there, and I'm going to help try to steer them away from it. So I'll teach them how to look at the raw figures and calculate it into what works for them, as long as I know that they're going to be working with me and buying from me. Um, and I'm more than happy to put in the time to try and help people out like that. Um, so educating your investors is actually quite key, I found as well. Um, and, and that's completely cool because it's just normal. It's just people enjoying the company of other people. But you're actually having a mutual transaction here. I'm, I'm doing a service. They're paying me for the service. And uh, they get an ongoing property for the next 20 years if they want it. Um, so it's all fair game for everybody. Yeah, that's what uh, I like about your your ethics um, is, yeah, you want a win-win situation for both parties and you will work to, to as best as you can to achieve that. And I think, yeah, not, and I'm not saying every other uh, company or property sourcing company is like that, but I think it's, it's forgotten sometimes. Yeah, I was just, um, I had a couple of friends who are, are now going into sourcing. They were investor clients of mine and they just moved to the UK. Uh, and we went for a walk around the mere. So I live in Ellesmere in Shropshire now. Um, we just went for a walk around. They were just asking a few like hints and tips about sourcing. And I said, one thing which I, I just hate about the industry generally is that, you know, the crookedness is not, from my experience anyway, it's not actually from new sources. Um, new sources are generally just unexperienced and uneducated. Um, there are some absolute crooked, nasty people out there. But a lot of the crookedness which I found is from the old school estate agencies. Um, very, very crooked and just very willing to screw anybody over. Yeah. Um, and I just, if, let's say for example, you know, I, I may have used the, the example before, but if it was my mum who was talking to a so-called property buying expert who said your property is worth 60,000 when actually it was worth 100,000 and she signed a contract to say, I'm going to sell it at 60 and I found out that guy will never do business again. I'll, I'll crush his company. Yeah. Um, you know, luckily I've the old marketing skills of reverse SEO, but like I would destroy that guy's company. Um, there's no way he would sell another property to somebody else after screwing someone over to such an extent. Yeah. And I've seen it happen. Like that's the thing. It's actually happened to friends of mine who have been screwed over by estate agents because they would pocket the difference I don't know how they do it. Um, I don't know how they get around the legals of it, but I've seen people pocketing the difference. It's not cool, you know. It's got to be agreed by everybody in an ethical manner. And, you know, that's absolutely key. Um, there's been a couple of occasions. So um, when I first started, again, um, same client again, who I, I mentioned before, you sign. The reason why people sign NDAs and NCAs is it's actually the protection of the sourcer. So if an investor isn't willing to sign an NCA or an NDA, don't worry about it. There's thousands, maybe even millions of other investors out there. Um, it, yeah. it basically gives us the power to sue an investor um, for our sourcing fee if we're circumvented. Um, so if we bring a, a deal forward to an investor and we say, look, we can get it for this price, uh, we can either take it off the market because it's on with an estate agent or it's direct to vendor. Now, at some point, they have to exchange details. They know who is the other person at the end of the table. They know who the seller is or they know who the solicitor is and they can cut you out. Well, that form, even though a lot of people say it's not worth the money it's written on, beg to differ. I've taken people to small claims court before. So it's, it's literally a case of don't circumnavigate because it's, it's also that element of ethics again. Um, now, this guy in particular circumvented me but kept me in the loop that he did it. So it was kind of it was kind of weird. It was it was like a naivety thing. And obviously, fine, okay, look, it's a mistake. Don't worry about it. This is why we signed this form. Um, you know, he knew what he did, but what he what he did is he contacted the seller's solicitor um and said, 
I want to purchase. Basically, the price was going through. At, I think it was like sixty-eight grand. Yeah. And we'd set exchange and completion for the following Friday, um, and he went back and he basically tried to take about two and a half grand off. Yeah, what's the point? Why? Yeah. Like he had a, a cracking deal, cracking deal, um, and he, he basically kind of felt like he, he needed to win a little bit more. Um, and the seller, basically, the solicitor spoke to the seller and the seller's words, so they copied and pasted um, what they'd written and it said, stick it up your ass. And it's like, wow, cool, okay. I'm glad that the seller did that. I'm angry that my buyer did that, but I'm also frustrated that I couldn't put food on my table that month. So I had to borrow money that month to pay my mortgage. Yeah, well, Unbelievable. Uh, we had to get my wife to pay it. So, you know, it, it completely, that's that's a lot of the reasons why those NCAs are, are formed. So the process with my buyers, to really summarize it, sorry, it's such a, a long process, it's a long-winded way of saying it. Mm. You talk through the process with the buyer on the phone, which is why one of the other reasons why you ideally want to have a phone call with them, because I will essentially create a Google Drive folder, which has, it's a secured folder. It would only be, you know, they wouldn't be able to see anybody else who's in the folder, but I would upload all the photos and videos, which I take all of them. There's no filtering because I don't have time to filter them all. I'll upload them into that folder and I'll say, look, these are the raw figures. And before I drive away, I'll do another quick sort of 30 second minute long video talking into the camera. Look, I've just been to see this property. Um, I noticed a big crack down the back wall, but it looks okay. It's a vertical crack, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You are probably looking between 15 and 20,000 pounds worth of work. The tenant is a protected tenant, so they can't move out. So, you know, their future expenses. Um, I found out about the seller, the sellers in this situation, and, you know, it's up to you guys. So they've got access to the figures. They've got access to the photos, the videos, the address, everything. Um, but I'll tell them usually, not always actually, but I'll, I'll sometimes tell them, I'll, I'll text them beforehand, uh, maybe once I've made the booking and say, look, I'm going to go see this property on this day at this time. Here's the address. If you want, do your due diligence before I go. Um, and if you're keen on it while I'm there, uh, if I've got your up-to-date proof of funds and address and, and your solicitor's details, I can literally just lodge the, um, uh, lodge the, offer in your name straight away if it's on with an agent yep. if it's direct to the vendor i can literally just email the vendor's solicitor with your solicitor's details and get it straight into legals um and just before i do that i send them a contract uh which is basically to say right okay you're agreeing to purchasing this house um if it requires a fee up front uh there's a fee up front which they would need to pay me um i haven't done that i've done that once um, and it's basically a non-refundable fee. Uh, but I decide now that I'm not going to take that fee up front. It's a case that if it drops out through a reason which isn't my fault, um, or if the vendor decides to pull out, uh, yeah. because that's not the buyer's fault. Um, but if, if the buyer decides to change their mind for whatever reason, or, you know, they just, they're delaying and delaying and delaying, and then the vendor decides to pull out, then that fee is... Um, applicable to be paid and I can just send them an invoice for it um, so it just makes things a little bit easier but I explained the whole process while on the phone to the investors but I think it's partially because I do things in a professional manner um, from what I've been told anyway and I'm quite real with people like you've got to kind of you've got to get on with who you're buying stuff from and who you're selling to like relationships are so key um, never put on a corporate front if you're never sure about something like there's been plenty of occasions where um some of my buyers have said you know i found this this shop which has a couple of flats up upstairs how much do you reckon it would cost to convert they'd be like i've got no idea like i literally don't have a clue but you can have a chat with these guys who are the builders or if i don't know the builders in the area it's like i don't know like you're, yeah. you're gonna have to approach that just be honest yeah that's it like and you know when you're first starting out you kind of want to be the expert you want to feel like the expert like i'm still i wouldn't class myself as an expert i'm just good at finding properties and building relationships with people which is why i get so many property referrals over to me and i get so many investors referred to me from other investors and that's i'm now just growing organically i don't market I, i've 
done marketing like once. Um, I don't have to market anymore. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. No, that's really, really well explained. I was, I was just going to say, actually, um, I've got more properties on my books direct to vendor than Entwistle Green Estate Agents in Liverpool. And there's five branches that I know of. Um, wow. I've got more than they have. It's like your own little estate agency. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I was, oh no, I'm not going to give the name away, but I was going to create an estate agency because I was that kind of upset and agitated about old school estate agency, how yeah. it's done. It's, it's not all crooked, by the way. Like it's not all crooked. Um, but some of the ones who I've dealt with, it puts such a sour taste in my mouth. Mm. I was going to create an estate agency just to, not to put them out of business, but just to compete and just show them how it's done properly. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people do. Obviously, we have a, a good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Sam Norris. He is a mortgage broker, isn't he? So um, is uh, a fantastic guy. Um, and obviously, he worked for a broker firm. And he, I think originally he wanted to, he thought, he had a lot of ideas, didn't he? And he wanted to do things yeah. better in his way. So he's gone on to open his own company now and he's doing things his way well, and it's taking off isn't it yeah well i don't want to compare myself to this guy but elon musk wasn't that impressed with nasa was he and look at spacex businesses are businesses are usually made because somebody figures out a better way of doing things yeah, and that's right it, a large part of my background you know that that email um software company was after I was involved in a lot of management consulting and automation. So, you know, I'm pretty certain that I can make a very, very efficient estate agency and just flatten these guys, you know, the ones who are crooked, just get rid of them. Like okay. it won't, it won't even take too long, maybe a couple of years. Um, but if yeah. I move into space, like if I move into it, I've been lucky as well. Like, um, you know, where I was saying about the, the power of relationships, um, one of my investors, especially really, really nice guy, really cool guy. He's offered me the money to launch an estate agency and considerable money as well. Um, but he knows that I'm not actually that passionate to become an estate agent. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm good at sourcing, but you know, you you know from the other podcast and other YouTube video that I'm a, I'm a forex trader at heart. So yeah, um, I just happen to be good at this with property. And if I but if I do. If I do do it with a state agency, it will be a hundred percent, and I'll go for it. And I don't usually fail stuff, which I work hard at. So. I think if you were to do it, you should do it like what's that company called? That juice company, and they just do things differently. Is that? Uh, what, innocence. Not innocence. innocence. Yeah, 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 innocence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they wear pajamas and shit to work, like, and they just yeah. really fun. <laughs> like, you should do that, like pajama Fridays at your estate agency, or. Rock, rock up in a in a chicken costume for viewings and just thought, wow, this is how we do things at uh, Paul McGee uh, Estates. I would definitely make it very customer friendly, but internally in the estate agent world, they'd probably know it as like grenade or something because I go and well, actually no, I won't say that on the internet, but like basically, <laughs> which could be misinterpreted there. Um, but no, I would go in to shake things up. You know, yeah. I would definitely go to an industry, shake it up. I, I shook up the marketing industry on the Isle of Wight, the way things were being done over there. Um, yeah, Liverpool's very different from the Isle of Wight, yeah. but yeah. You know, there's so many, what, there's like 30 estate agencies. Like most of them are, no one really knows who they are. Um, there's maybe five big boys, and I would go straight out one of them. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. And uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, <laughs> if, uh, yeah, if you ever was, to do i think yeah i think you do well anyway so who know who knows maybe when you've made your millions you might just want to do it for fun yeah man yeah well my uh, side is like oh that's one other thing as well um for anybody who's looking to get into sourcing i know that everybody says that it's good entry level into property and i do agree with that um but i won't agree and say that it's an easy way to replace your income so even though I've got a lot of experience in business, I've got a lot of experience in company automation, management consulting, um, you know, I could work for almost any company at, at those sorts of levels up at the very top. Um, but it takes a long time to get your first deal through the door. Um, and it's, it's really getting, even if you're, 
sorry, get, got hiccups all of a sudden. Yeah. But even even if you're quite quick getting that first deal through the door, it could well be a one-off. It could be you're selling it to a friend or whatever and you get a sourcing fee or great. Um, but for you to grow your reputation, it does take a while. Um, you know, don't worry too much about branding, creating a company name, all that sort of shit. People buy into you. Um, and it's all about being the best person who you can be for your buyers uh, and just being real. Now that takes a, that takes a while. Like the position I'm in now, a year ago, like where I was, honestly, man, like I think I told you, I played Assassin's Creed for six weeks. I got through a, like a non-completable game and practically completed it. Um, I was miserable, depressed because basically there was no government help, there was no furlough for me, there was there was nothing. Um, I was struggling because all of my property success in that six months dissipated within two weeks. Mm. Um, and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't know when fellow was going to end. I didn't know when the property market was going to reopen. And when it did, was it as good as I was expecting? No. There were no new properties going online. Like there were like three new properties um, per week in Liverpool. It, like in Liverpool, like there's probably what, half a million people there? Yeah. There was nothing yeah. coming on. Crazy. Um, so it takes a while to do, but once you get going, it snowballs. Um, and I realized, especially at the turn of this year, like once my trading started taking off and stuff, I knew that I didn't have to go 100 miles per hour at property anymore. I could take my foot off the pedal. And as long as you do a good job, once you've got a transaction going and you absolutely nail that transaction, you can slow down and just allow things to be. You don't have to be you know, 50, 60 hours, just constantly trying to source, find properties, do this, do that, uh, pay for a thousand training courses, jump on a hundred webinars. Um, you don't need to do all that. It's like, if people want to work with you, they will work with you. Um, one of my best clients, he waited for six months, I think, to reach out to me. And it took us, oh, sorry, I'm just literally looking at the yeah. dates. I think it took us about seven months to get our first deal. So it took him over a year from first seeing me to actually getting, actually, I think it might have been slightly less than a year. Maybe it was about three months where he's been watching me um, beforehand, but it took practically yeah. nine or 10 months or so. Yeah. Between people, are, people are watching what you are doing, aren't they? So yeah, exactly. it's persistence I mean, and keeping up. Yeah, but one thing which uh, I would probably recommend to people do what you do best and outsource the rest. Um, I'm bollocks for admin and that includes getting back to people sometimes. And, you know, one thing which I should have done earlier was hire a VA. Uh, and that's something which I'm now going through the process to do because it is slowing my business down and the stress, you know, it, it's counterproductive and counterintuitive to try and do it all yourself. So, you know, if there's one area which I knew at the very start I was going to struggle with, it was admin. And, you know, if I'd have hired a VA straight away, even though it would have, you know, run at a negative for the first maybe three or four months, um, I would now be in a much faster situation. Like, you know, I've got 100 plus properties on the books at the moment, but I would probably have sold those 100 by now. You know, yeah. I've been sat on a couple of them for like eight weeks and no one knows about them because I haven't got around to, to, to marketing it to anybody. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. Whereas the VA would have done that on day one. That's right. Yeah. Get it, get it automated. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that is a lot of um, amazing tips for, for property sourcing. You've just shown that, yeah, like, although it's entry per se into property world, it's difficult. So yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, it's also a hell of a struggle at times, even at the best of times, like you can really, really struggle and you still go through, you know, people say when they're paying for developments themselves, you know that when you're trying to do a good job for people and they're spending their money, honestly, man, I would rather it be my money half the time. I'm stressing all the time thinking like, oh, I hope that this goes well and I hope that works well. And if you do have to get in touch with a build team, you're just hoping that everything goes well. You know, you try and keep as much of it under your control as you can. Um, but it's quite a stressful thing to do. Um, but it is worthwhile doing. And I would say even if even if sourcing isn't like your main route into property, if it's not what you want to do in the future, mm. what's stopping you from sourcing, you know, anyway? You know, it is it is straightforward. 
you know, it's, it's not easy, but it's straightforward. You've got a, a, a buyer's requirement and you find the property and you marry the two together. That's it. And you, you charge a fee outside of that. Because yeah, it's I, a, yeah, I think it's just, as we said, it's simple, but it's understanding, it's patience and it's hard work. Um, yeah, but yeah. Absolutely. No, no, spot on, spot on, mate. So awesome, man. This, this, so this bit brings us to the uh, the final part of the show, uh, which is the random question time. Is it different questions? It's different questions. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed. Cool. So uh, if you're a, a long listener of this show or watcher via YouTube, then you'll know this is the part where we ask the viewer random questions. And you had some random questions in uh, part one, um, which are pretty good. So, yeah, these are totally different. So start off with what's your dream car, your favourite car? It is the Mustang. Always yeah. has, always will be. And it's the old school Mustang. It's not this new shit that you see. Um, my brother designed the brake pedal for the new Mustang of all things uh, and part of the chassis I believe um, he worked, he's a design engineer for Ford but um, it's the, the older Mustang nice strong big bonnet muscle car yeah love it mate wow. I couldn't agree more that's that's going to be like my um, my dream car purchase and the good thing is you can pick one up for about 12k which is it's not Lamborghini <coughs> territory yeah no way yeah, you can pick up an 07 plate for about 12k, 13k, something like that. So, um, I think is it, gonna... is it left hand drive. Actually, I don't even care yeah. what hand left, drive it's, it's left hand drive, but it can be back seat drive for a like. I just want a Mustang, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Very nice. yeah. Mustang 100%. Yeah. Classmate, so all right, next one. What's the best Wi Fi name you've ever seen? Oh my god. When I was at university, there were some disgusting ones. <laughs> I don't know if I could say this. I think if, if you ever got monetized on YouTube, it would it would demonetize you. But it was it was basically something to do with. I don't know if I could say it. Maybe um, I shouldn't have asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> you might need to edit this bit out. I'll say a different <laughs> one in a minute. But it, it was basically something to do with. Um... <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Was, um, I can't remember exactly what it you know was. You know what? You, you've told me that, that before. Why that I actually, You know what? I googled today um, <coughs> funny funny questions to ask, and I thought, oh, that's a quite, quite a funny question, and I just realised you've told me that today. So out of all people, I've asked that question to, and that's the answer I got. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll do... Um, honestly, I would edit that bit out. Uh, <laughs> but it was something to do with those, uh, with that. I don't know. <laughs> ask, ask me a different question. <laughs> ask me a different one. Um, but there's different Like I can't remember. What we'll do is, if people want to know, they can message you. How about that? Yeah, they can do that. Because yeah. it's it's that bad, isn't it, Paul? It is that bad. It, it okay. will get you into okay. Sizes. Okay, we'll have to do that then. Uh, all right. Least favourite pizza topping? It's more popular than I thought it was. But it's... Oh, actually, no. I was going to say pineapple, but I don't mind it that much. It's a bit of a weird thing. Right, I think we're going to end the, the talk show there. I think <laughs> get off the show because I'm not a fan. Um, I'd say anchovies. They're fucking oh, disgusting. Yeah. Actually, they're pretty rank. I don't like them. Yeah. Who put a smelly fish on something so nice? I know. I mean, I could, you know what? I chocolate, ever had a chocolate pizza. I know it's pretty random, but like... No. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, something you wouldn't think to put on a pizza, but it kind of works. Like, a, it's a dessert pizza. But, yeah, anchovies. Oh, it's just like ordering salty popcorn at the cinema. Oh, it's disgusting, man. Yeah, anchovies. It just... Oh, it tastes like ass. <laughs> <laughs> they do that as well. <laughs> now nah, oh. that's being kept in, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Paul. Um, yeah, Another awesome interview, part two. Fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, so you know, for people that didn't listen to part one, uh, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so there's there's two places, really, uh, which I hang out at, not very often. Um, but there's Instagram, primarily, for my property guys, uh, and that's at McGee, and that's M-A-G-E-E. And for the Forex side of stuff, 
Um, on YouTube, it's Trade Forex with Paul. Um, and that's where you can see my Forex stuff. Awesome. And if anyone is listing that, is an investor and wants to get on Paul's mailing list, how can they go on there? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, there's prosourced.co.uk. So that's P-R-O-S-O-U-R-C-E-D.co.uk. Um, and just go to the contact page and fill in your details. It goes straight into my CRM and I get a notification on my phone to give you a shout if you want a call. So that's really good. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, well, you know, it's great to finally speak to you, Paul, because uh, I've been, as I said, you as a sponsor on the show. So yeah. it's great to actually get the the man of the company on it's, the, on the it's show. It's incredible, yeah. So thank you for letting me be your first sponsor. Hopefully, when you when you make it to the millions of viewers, they'll be like, you know what, let's go back and listen to what his first episodes were like. And be like, wow, this ProSource company sounds brutal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But no, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, yeah, we'll have to get you on again in another few months to a year and see where you're at, see how the source is going and the Forex is going, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. As long as your audience would look like that as well. Of course. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they, they would. Uh, my audience is the best. It's the best in the world. They need to smash that like button, subscribe, and uh, leave a review. There you go. There's the plug. Appreciate that, mate. Yeah. Absolutely spot on. Right, folks, that has been another fantastic episode of the Oric Talk Show. Tune in next week for another awesome guest. Ciao for now. Bye.